Connecting Coaches Cognition. Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Graskin, and I'm not here with anyone. Violet had a sick kiddo today, so I'm doing this interview on my own. Um, I'll catch you up a little about what's new in my world. I'm going through some home renovation. Um, I had scraped all the popcorn ceilings off of my house over our long weekend um, and decided to hire someone to skim coat and finish them. So I'm kind of living in the middle of a construction site. Um, and looking forward to our upcoming winter break um, and cannot believe that we're headed into 2023. Today, we're so lucky to have Valentina Gonzalez, the co-author of Reading and Writing with English Learners, a framework for K-5, is a longtime educator who has served 20 plus years in education in her own classroom as a district facilitator for English language learners, a professional development specialist for ELs, and a consultant. Her work's primary focus has been on literacy, culture, and language. Valentina delivers professional development and works with teachers on, of multilinguals to support language acquisition and literacy instruction. Valentina, thank you so much for being on C3 with me today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really glad we could find a time and get to talk together. Yeah, you're such a wealth of knowledge. I'm so fortunate. I heard your keynote at our Teach to Reach conference this summer, and we're fortunate enough to have you on the podcast. And then um, I even get to have her come speak to one of my schools in January. So we're ready to dive into this work together. Absolutely. It was fun to come to St. Brain back in I think it was August, two days in August. And yes, I'm looking forward to coming back again. We're all excited um, reading all of your books and anything we can get our hands on. So can you tell us about your background in education? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I started teaching back in the 1900s. <laughs> Funny thing. Um, yeah, it was 1997 when I first began teaching. Um, I actually got hired in mid-year and the classroom that they developed for me was um, out of need because they had too many students at the school and they needed to uh, hire another teacher. And so they hired me and they formulated this class out of volunteers. And so you can imagine <laughs> um, who volunteered to be in the new third grade classroom. <laughs> and it was actually the best year Ever. I loved these kids. Aww. They loved me. We loved each other. The parents loved the class. I mean, it was just a great thing. Sometimes you think, you know, it's a volunteer classroom and it might be scary. And I was a little nervous at first, but they needed me and I needed them. And it was just a reciprocal process. Um, so that was my first year in 1997, third grade. For many years, I taught third grade language arts. I taught fourth grade language arts. I taught second grade. And after teaching in my own classroom for over a decade, I became an ESL teacher that worked with other classroom teachers on my campus. And 
I went into classrooms and I also worked with our newcomer students in the elementary level um, to give them that ELD time for really systematic, explicit English language development from kindergarten all the way up to fifth grade. And finally, my last role in the district was, well, I actually had two roles um, when I left the campus and worked at the central office. Um, I helped to support those ESL teachers um, on their campuses. We had over 40 campuses at the time, elementary only. Um, wow. And so within those campuses, every campus had a different number of ESL teachers. And um, my job was to help support them in their role. And, and my last job there was as a professional development specialist. So now what I do is I travel around the nation and I work with teachers who work with multilingual students. And it's just an honor and a pleasure to, um, to do what I do. I love it. And I love that symbiotic relationship of how you got your start with um, people volunteering to move into your classroom and then all the knowledge that you gathered through the years, um, I'm sure just enhanced your ability as an ELL teacher and then to go and work with other ESL teachers. Um, I'm sure that was such a gift for them to have someone with such depth of experience. Thank you. It didn't start out that way. You know, uh, some people think that as an English learner myself, that I naturally knew how to teach English learners. And it really didn't start out that way. I had a lot of empathy for my students who were acquiring English, but I, it took a lot of years of trying things, experiencing um, the role, and also studying, reading books, going to professional development, um, learning from other people, learning from other educators and um, it took me a long time to really feel confident and really know that I was doing what was best for the multilingual learners in my classrooms. That multilingual teaching is such a depth of teaching. It's so different um, than anything else. I can't imagine, you know, I'm a native English speaker, but I've had thousands of students come through my classroom as newcomers and just, yeah. I give them so much credit um, and I'm so fortunate to have worked with wonderful uh, multilingual teachers to help them assimilate and uh, gain those language skills to get them started in an English-speaking classroom. Yeah, absolutely. So can you share with us your core beliefs about teaching reading and writing to multilingual learners? Yes, I would love to. Actually, Dr. Miller and I wrote about our core beliefs about teaching reading and writing to English learners in our book, Reading and Writing with English Learners. That's one of the first things we sat down and did um, as we wrote the book. And I think it's essential that we all do that as educators. We write our core beliefs independently no matter who you teach, no matter what, um, which students you work with or what content area you serve, sitting down to write your core beliefs and think about your core beliefs, reflect on them, and then doing that as a team also. So we all kind of have this idea of what our, what our core beliefs are and then use those on a daily basis 
when we lesson plan, when we deliver instruction and align everything with those core beliefs. So yes, um, many of my core beliefs are centered on the experiences our English learners have in our classrooms. Um, I can give you a few of them, but they're all listed in the book on page 11. Um, probably one of the ones that's most central to me is that literacy in any language holds value and can be leveraged to support learning and acquiring English. When I say that literacy in any language is valuable, I have to quantify that in what I do in the classroom. I have to quantify that by the, the resources that I have, everything I purchase, what we do with students, what's on the walls, how we interact with kids. So I can't just say it's a core belief and not do something about it in my daily instruction and lesson planning. Uh, that means buying books in other languages, listening to kids read in other languages, having words in other languages on the walls. It, it means that I have to do something with that core belief. So just saying it's a core belief is not enough. I have to do something with that belief. Um, I'll give you another one. Uh, student choice in reading and writing is essential. That is a core belief to me. Choice is very motivating. Like us as, you know, adults, when we have choice in something, we're more motivated to do it. And our kids are the same way, especially as readers and writers. If I get to choose what I read and write about, I'm also going to shine brighter when doing it. If I get to choose the book that I read, I'm going to have more background knowledge in it. I'm going to have more vocabulary and experience with it, which means I'm going to understand it better. I'm going to grapple with the ideas better. And same with writing. If I get to write about cats or sketchnoting or language, these are all things that I love. So I'm going to be better at this writing than if you asked me to write about insurance or automobiles or something very, you know, irrelevant to me. And our kids are the same way. Student choice in reading and writing is key and essential. I could go on, Courtney. So <laughs> <laughs> They have to buy the book. We can't spill it all here. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> no, I love the student empowerment piece um, that you bring up and that really looking at what are your core beliefs as an educator and then how are those core beliefs reflected in my everyday work that I'm doing with students, whether that's lesson planning, what the setup of my classroom looks like, and do those two things match? I think that's a really great question for educators to ask themselves. Yeah, it's important. I know on your website, that's full of a ton of information. You talk about the secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How educators can be amazing for multilingual learners. And what's that secret recipe? I truly believe that we as educators can be most effective when we start from the heart, when we teach from the heart and really build those relationships with kids uh, I know curriculum is important. Of course, we have to teach something. <laughs> but first and foremost, we teach kids. Um, our, without them, 
it doesn't matter if we have curriculum or not. So the kids are the most important. When we center ourselves around students and what they need, then we're on the right path. And we have to start there. The path begins with the kids. With multilingual learners, it's important that we know much more about who they are because their experiences can be so different from our own. Their background, their lived experiences, their traditions. We don't even know what we don't know. A lot of times, there's so many things that um, we take for granted or we assume about their lives and what they've gone through or their language. And so the only way to avoid those assumptions is by listening and asking and finding out and being super curious. And the most effective teachers of multilingual learners will do that. Talk less and listen more, not only to the kids, but also to the families of these kids. Don't be afraid of them. Um, I can tell you myself I remember as an early teacher being a little bit nervous of parents, not just multilingual parents, but all parents. It's a little scary as a young teacher to sit with families, uh, parents at that parent-teacher conference. It's a little scary because we work with kids all the time. We're not scared of the kids, but (laughs) adults, maybe we're a little scared of them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those parents. Don't be afraid of caregivers. Remember that they are the experts of the children and they can give us so much. Keep learning as much as you can about the kids and center all of what we do around students. And that's probably the biggest secret sauce that I can give you. If I, if I could relate any, any of what I've learned, that would be it. Yeah, that's really the foundation of every successful classroom is you have those really strong relationships with students. And I think for our multilingual learners, um, especially our newcomers, what experiences are they bringing with them? Um, We've recently had a bunch of newcomers and hearing their story of how they arrived at our school or what schooling looked like for them during COVID in their very small community uh, that they came from offers so much insight in how to approach educating these students. Yes, absolutely. It can be um, a scary experience. And for us, we just have to listen and then um, move forward from there, from that point of listening and hearing what they have to say. I love that. Be a listener. Let them talk. That's our goal for every multilingual student, right? Get them talking. Yes. Get them to use that language. We do a lot of mini lessons with our students, especially our multilingual learners, Um, Can you help us and give us some tips on how to best support multilingual learners in a small group setting? Yeah, mini lessons are great because because they're short. And for multilingual learners, short is an effective way of instruction because they're getting a little chunk. And and then they can apply that into um, whatever independent activity or partner group activity they're going to move forward and do. And so during that mini lesson, when we're doing a lot of the talking, there are some ways we can increase the comprehensibility of the lesson. And a key thing when we're delivering instruction to multilingual learners is comprehensibility. 
do they understand what we're saying? Uh, because if they don't understand it, then, then it's a waste of time. And comprehensibility is a way for students to acquire language. When we acquire language, we're understanding what we hear or what we read. In a mini lesson, when we deliver it, we can do certain things to ensure that kids are grasping the ideas and understanding. And for one, we can make an anchor chart of the mini lesson. So as we teach that mini lesson, we're literally making a kind of like a fingerprint of the learning. That way, after the mini lesson happens, our multilingual learners have something to look back on and say, that's that's what the lesson was about. I remember that. Or I need to go back and take a look at what she said because there was a lot I heard or what he said. There was a lot I heard and I didn't remember it all. But that fingerprint of learning is there as a reminder. Um, we can also use these comprehensible input strategies that we know are effective, like pointing to the word wall or pointing to the poster, pointing to the information in the book that we're referring to. Small things like gestures and visuals um, to make whatever we're saying verbally more accessible to our learners. Throughout a mini lesson, which is supposed to be roughly 10 to 15 minutes, we want to stop and check for understanding. So even though that mini lesson is a direct instruction, we still want to have a couple of checkpoints to make sure that our students are grasping the ideas and they're um, participating also. That participation is essential for our multilingual learners. If they can't participate in um, the instruction, then they may be falling behind and we may be creating gaps in their learning that unintended gaps, obviously, but we want to catch them before those gaps continue to, to grow larger and larger. So I'm a big advocate for mini lessons because they're small chunks of direct instruction, but we also want to make sure that, that those mini lessons are comprehensible for our multilingual learners. Thank you for lifting that idea of that check-in and how important it is. Even though it's direct instruction, we need to know exactly what they're taking away from that. And that's where misconceptions can be easily cleared up during those mini lessons. It's maybe just a quick fix-up strategy. And then they're like, okay, now that makes sense to me. And they can move forward with their learning. Yes, absolutely. What would you consider one of your highest leverage techniques or tips um, for supporting multilingual learners? I have to say that probably one of my, and I say it's my favorite technique, but it's not just because it's my favorite technique. It, this technique that I'm going to share with you um, is really powerful because it's research-based and because when we deliver this technique, we're ensuring that students are learning content and we're embedding listening, speaking, reading, and writing. So we're lifting the level of language while also helping students with content that they're learning. And the technique is called the picture word inductive model. And so if you've ever heard me speak, if you've been to a workshop with me, likely I've shared this technique. 
it's applicable to any grade level from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade and beyond. We can use this technique to help multilingual learners and even native English learners when they're learning something new. So we take a visual um, and the visual is something that uh, is tied to the theme or unit we're studying. So let's say in class we're studying about communities and I might find a visual that's related to an urban community. I'm going to display that visual for students to see and we are going to label it as a class. This visual allows for students to brainstorm the words they already know, the funds of knowledge they have, their background knowledge, but I'm also building background using their funds of knowledge and their peers. So it's very social as well. I mean, we're incorporating a lot of things that are we know are good in education. We know are very strong for our learners. Once we've built this vocabulary bank, we've labeled out the visual, then we're going to move to sentences. So we're, we're working from words to sentences, and we're going to start with verbal sentences, that oral language development that we want our multilingual learners to have in their listening bank and their speaking bank. So we, we begin speaking sentences using the words that we've labeled. And finally, we move to a paragraph, and I like to model the paragraph for them. I do it in either a write aloud or a shared writing, so they can see how a proficient writer creates a paragraph using the word bank we built together. I do it, you know, in a way that they they are able to to either see how I create a narrative writing or an expository expository writing based on whatever need our class has um, in the curriculum. I, I want to stay tied to curriculum and infuse language into the lesson as well. So you can see that this is like a really powerful strategy that spans across grade levels and content areas. I love it. That oracy piece is so important to make sure our students have the opportunity to participate in those activities and then that uh, think aloud as you're writing so they understand how writers' brains work um, and they just don't see a finished product because there is so much thinking that goes in behind the writing. That's exactly what we want to do. We want them to see and hear, see and hear at the same time. I'm sure you have a ton of them, but could you share a story of success with us or a specific instance of seeing a lot of your strategies kind of come together um, and just make for a beautiful lesson or experience in the classroom? I do. I have many, many success stories, as we all do, probably as educators, and, and some that we look back on and say, man, I should have done this. But I'll tell you one that um, I'm not going to use her real name be, just for, you know, we shouldn't. And so, this, this child came to our country when she was a fourth grader. At the time, she tested at uh, an English level of beginner. By the time she finished fourth grade that same year, she tested out of our ESL program. Why? She devoured books. 
from the moment she stepped into our classroom. And at the time, I was her ESL teacher and her language arts teacher, um, and I worked together. This child, every time we met, she would ask me, what book do you recommend, Mrs. Gonzalez? And she didn't say it that way, but we communicated and we knew what we were talking about. I would recommend a book for her. And the next day she would come back and she would give it back to me and ask me for another one. And we went back and forth day after day. After a while, it was hard for me to find more books for this child. She was devouring books. And it was, a, you know, it was one of those things where I had to really know what kind of books to offer to her. I had to know who she was, what kind of books she was going to like. The power of reading. Reading is huge for language development. We build a vocabulary. We don't build it one way. It's not just through listening or speaking. It's not just through writing, but reading as well. And there, there's a lot of research that says that reading is a huge, has a huge impact on vocabulary and language structures. And I really have to say that probably one of the big things that impacted her language development was the amount of reading she did. And it wasn't just me. It was mostly her, her drive to read more. And she's such a success story. Now she's graduated and in college and I still keep up with her. She's amazing, amazing person. It's such a beautiful story. It's heartwarming. But the intentionality that you had behind choosing the right books for her and you knew like she's coming at you every day with a new book, relying on you to provide, you know, that right book for her is such a heavy load, um, but makes such a difference for her, obviously. Reading is big. And yes, we have a big job uh, to provide kids with a lot of books. Books are important. Yes, I love books. Now's your time to shine. Where can we learn more from you and with you? Um, do you have anything new coming down the pipe? Oh, my goodness, Courtney. Yes, you can learn more from me. On, number one on Twitter at Valentina ESL. I have a website, ValentinaESL.com. Um, the, the book itself has a website, readingwritingels.com. I do have new things coming. I'm so excited. I have a children's picture book coming out. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. It's, it's going to be, I hope that people love it. It is a sweet, sweet story. It's actually coming out hopefully before the end of this year. So by, um, by the end of December 2022, it should be out. We're crossing our fingers that the printer gets it finished. Um, I won't tell you a lot about it, but hopefully you'll get to see it. And um, I have a couple of other books coming out, a sketch noting book for multilingual learners. Um, that's a little further down the pike, but it's coming. Um, and uh, And some more things down the road, but... Um, I'm excited to collaborate with all of you and with new people that are going to join and collaborate with us and, and learn more um, about how to serve our multilingual learners. 
Oh, I'm so excited about your new book. I will definitely be grabbing myself a few copies to share with the educators I'm so fortunate to work with. We're going to move into our rapid fire portion of the podcast. Um, So in a few minutes or less, what is your tagline or bumper sticker for education? Oh my gosh. Okay. Excellence for multilingual learners doesn't happen by accident. We design it deliberately. We have to. That's my bumper sticker, I have to say. It's a long one, but it's super powerful. I love it. (laughs) What would be your secret coaching superpower or go-to move? Focus on students. Focus on the child. Um, When we coach one another, when we focus on kids, multilingual learners specifically, look at what they are doing. Talk about what is happening with the kids, not with us, but what are the kids doing? What are we creating for students to do? When we focus on them, our craft gets better. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing so many wonderful insights on how to best support our multilingual students. Um, I know I have a lot of teachers that are going to be excited to listen to this episode. So thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I can't wait to come see you in January. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you. C3, connecting coaches, cognition. Whose thinking will you mediate today? 